0: What is going on everybody and welcome. This is episode 39 of Internal Budget. It's Brandon Mackey here, staff writer for silver 7 as always. And hey, wishing you a very happy Thanksgiving Monday. I hope your day and weekend as a matter of fact has been filled with turkey, pumpkin pie, family, friends, and happy thoughts about the Ottawa Senators and we certainly do. Have some thoughts about the Ottawa Senators today because on the show in what is coming as a long overdue appearance, he is a freelance writer for The Athletic covering the Ottawa Senators of course. He's also one half of the Common Sense podcast with friend of the show Haley Salvian. You should definitely check it out. It is an awesome, awesome podcast. It's a hell of a lot better than this one. Just saying. And you can also find his work at the 6th Sends via thesportsdaily.com. Folks, finally, it's Graham Nichols. Please enjoy.
1: All right. It's the man with the sixth sense. It's Graham Nichols. How are you, sir? Thank you for doing it. Doing really well. How are you doing, Brian? I'm doing excellent under the circumstances, all things considered. <laughs> uh, it was a huge week for the Ottawa Senators. I, I don't think there's any debate that what we saw was probably the biggest draft in franchise history to this point. Why don't we start at the very top and let's talk about Tim Stutzler. What is getting a player of that caliber
2: mean to this team at this point in their rebuild? I think it's huge. I think if you're, if you're looking at this organization's history, he's probably the best, most safely projectable offensive talent that this team's ever drafted since Jason Spezza, which was 2001. So it's been, it's been 19 years coming uh, to add this kind of like elite offensive talent into the lineup. Uh, the expectation is he's going to play next year. So senators fans should, uh, be excited to get that kind of first-hand opportunity to to watch this player right away. And, you know, you look at some of the prospects who've come through Ottawa system in recent years, they haven't really had that. Uh, most players who come in uh, have kind of struggled off the hop or they just haven't been able to be that kind of difference maker um, that you, that you really want and, and are hoping to get each year in the draft. And I think he's probably the best representative uh, of an offensive uh, talent who can step in, produce right away. Uh, renew some renew some of the optimism that's been lost in, in recent years and give Senators fans someone to cheer for for the future. It's, it's really exciting for them.
1: Yeah, I think him being so as NHL ready as he is, is going to really help in that aspect too. I think, you know, having that guy that can tangibly jump uh, right to the NHL and provide points right away. That's going to be huge to this fan base. One of the guys who is probably going to take a year or two, though, is who they took at number five. Uh, it was Jake Sanderson, the defenseman. And I know that was kind of a controversial pick. Personally, I'm a huge fan of it, especially with Lucas Raymond off the board. Um, you know, it's been it's been said to death, but I think he's the, that transition defender that the Senators really need behind Thomas Shabbat. He's a guy with a, a complete game who can play – uh, every kind of minutes um he's the guy that'll play 30 minutes for you in playoff games that's where i stand on it but where did you stand on it because i like i said i know there were people who were a little sour on that pick
2: yeah i, I think both sides of the argument have have really um really good arguments right um yeah the centers passed up on on a lot of offensive talent and yeah it, there is the risk that tim stutzla might not be able to play center long term for the organization. There's, you know, Pierre Dorian himself said that uh, they had a little bit of debate amongst themselves that, Hey, is this a guy who projects better at wing or is he going to be a natural center? And if you look at cup contending teams over the past number of years, you need that elite two-way center just to anchor things down on the forward front. So if, if students can't play center, that's, that's something you got to worry about. And I think that's something that a lot of fans pointed out. If, if Stutzler can't be that guy at, uh, at three, then maybe it would have been a safer pick to, to go with a natural center, like Marco Rossi, or maybe even a Cole Perfetti You could slide over from the wing. They've talked about him being able to play center as well. Um, so you could kind of understand, uh, that kind of need and that desire to have the offense because, you know, it's, it's really hard to find elite offensive players in the NHL. And the best way to get them is at the top of the draft. And there are some very good players available. So it's going to take a little bit of time, um, for this to pan out and, and to kind of realize like what actually Ottawa uh, drafted at number five, but Jake Sanderson, uh, smooth skater. Uh, they're supposedly saying he's an elite defender, great gap control, good stick uh, can bring a physical element uh, has the bloodlines of Pierre and the organization seem to love these days. Um, there's a lot to like, and you can't really, you can't really dump on the player or the pick because you know, you want an offensive talent. Like you're going to have to give this guy every opportunity to prove himself. And if you look at Ottawa's blue line, this is a blue line. That has been absolutely terrible since 2007 when the team went to the cup final. And it's been kind of deteriorating since 2006 when they let Chera go. And they've never really addressed it. They've got they brought in a bunch of defensive defensemen. It hasn't worked. They brought in uh, stopgap solutions uh, and you know puck handling, puck moving defense, but, but nobody's really stuck. Uh, we're fortunate right now to have Tomlin Shabbat. Uh, Christian Wolana looks like he might be able to be a player. But if you look at Ottawa's group as a collective, it's either you have really underwhelming defensive defense when they added another recently in Erica Branson, but they, they have those defensive defensemen, those, uh, and, and they have a bunch of guys who can move the puck on the left side, like Mike Riley and Christian Molana and Thomas Shabbat. And that group just needs to get stronger. Um, hopefully they have more pieces coming in the pipeline. Jake Bernard Docker, obviously, um, Lassie Thompson being another um, There, there is some good projectable depth coming on the blue line but it's just going to take a little bit of time to get here and addressing the blue line at number five isn't the worst thing in the world because looking at Ottawa's blue line they need a little bit more help
1: Yeah it, it's definitely a blue line that's been top heavy. Um, I had a conversation on Twitter quite a while ago actually uh, I think it was Steve Onsens who asked um, what is, what's the one thing that is held Ottawa back from winning uh, for the last, you know, 10 years or so. And, and I said, it had to be the blue line. And I broke down uh, who was the blue line, who were the defenders in every year that the Sens made the playoffs and every year they made noise. And even in 2017, like it was an abysmal blue line um, and, you know, not knocking guys like FNAF who played their asses off when they were here, but they were top heavy with that Mathot Carlson pairing. Like, I, I don't think that's up, up for debate.
0: There were people, though, who were
1: upset about the Sanderson pick because they feel Ottawa is good enough on the left side of the blue line. They didn't feel like it was so much of a position of need. Uh, so what do you say to guys who are to people, sorry, who think that uh, the Senators should have stayed away from that position because they have guys like Willan and Branstrom in, in that position?
2: Yeah, but with depth comes a little bit of strength, right? Like, yeah, you know, not everyone in Ottawa system is going to project safely and fulfill – you know, their ceiling in terms of potential. Uh, There's going to be players who fall short of it. And, you know, just having another guy like Jake Sanderson is just another egg in the basket that brings the collective a little bit stronger. Um, But he also, I think stylistically uh, brings an element that a lot of those guys that you mentioned don't have, Um, you know, he, he can transition the puck, even though a lot of people might be scared off of the label defensive defenseman, he's a smooth skater can break the puck out and he can break it through the neutral zone get it in the offensive zone. Yeah, there are genuine concerns about the guy's production, but he's also one of the youngest players in the draft. Uh, he had a good second half. And, you know, even if some scouts are not really sure whether that offense is going to play up down the road, it's still good to have a great defensive defenseman who can transition the puck. And you read comps like Jacob Slavin, who I love in mm-hmm. Carolina, like if, if that's going to be the comp or or even a Jeff Petrie, I know like hearing about guys like that in terms of comps may not be that sexy at five, but those guys are very hard to get, uh, and there's a lot of value there. And, yeah, maybe the Senators left some offensive talent on the board, and it's it's just going to be one of those situations where you have to kind of wait and see how it's going to play out because I think the Senators did add a lot of value. It's just it's going to take time to get here, one, and you, you're going to see how guys perform who went after them, and that's just the unfortunate thing. And, you know, Ottawa had two picks. You can't draft all the guys in the top ten, unfortunately, but you're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Would you have taken Sanderson at five, do you think? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's a good question. I mean, Stutzla at three, you know, you, you're hoping L.A. is either going to take him or Byfield, so you're just waiting to drop. I think that's the one benefit that Dorian had is that regardless of who he took at three, there's no pressure on that kid coming in because L.A. was a, LA is ultimately the one that chose who Otto was going to draft. Um yeah, but Sanderson five. It's I. I understand the arguments for it. Um, I I share a number of concerns. Um, you know, with guys like Rossi being on the board, Perfetti, uh, guys with elite two way ability and and hockey IQ at forward. Um, I I love those kind of players, and Ottawa definitely needs an infusion of os- offensive talent in their in their pipeline of prospects. But um, this is also a team, and, and for all your listeners out there, like this is also a team that's projectedly going to be bad, probably for the next year or two. Definitely. um there, there's more opportunity for lottery picks down the road uh and if they can address the blue line now and an elite forward becomes available to them in the next two years and yeah i'd probably prefer that over drafting an offensive forward here and then worrying about a defenseman next year or the year after who might take another like two three years in terms of like building a window of contention and mm-hmm. trying to get the team better now maybe it is better to get sanderson this year than you know grabbing a defenseman one or two three years down the road
1: yeah it makes sense They did pick up a center at number 28, and Pierre Dorian actually said that he really tried to trade up with that pick, but he also said that the guy they were going to trade up for was the guy they ended up taking at 28. It was Ridley Gregg. Do you have any thoughts on that player? Uh, I I know he's kind of that Brady Kachuk mold of a guy with good offensive capabilities, but really excels at pissing other teams off and getting under their skin. Uh, What did you think of that pick at 28?
2: Don't mind it. Um, you know, he's another player whose offense kind of played up in the second half of the season, and you know, he brings a lot of elements that teams love in the postseason. Uh, I wrote about it in a piece uh, following the draft uh, last week, and you can't have a draft full of skilled players, or you can't have a roster full of skilled players either. But, you know, there's got to be kind of some kind of balance there, and I think if you look at the postseason in recent years, like teams like Tampa Bay kind of went through it where they. When it acquired a little bit of jam and and guys who can get under the skin of opponents, but still play like in an offensive um, possession game, right? Like you look at guys like Coleman or uh, Maroon. Uh, there's there's just there's just an opportunity for those kind of players to flourish in in this system. And I think that's that's kind of like one of the new wrinkles of the NHL. I think a lot of people are looking at guys who have that kind of two-way aptitude and jam. They they they'd almost like prefer some of those players as opposed to just an elite skill guy. You can only play one on one side of the one side of the yeah, red light sorry some stomach through my words. That's all good. Uh, the rest of
1: the draft was kind of it was kind of weird because it felt like they had a bunch of picks at one time and then they went like six hours with without another pick and maybe that was just speaking to how much of a slog that draft was. But I, I, there's a couple big things to talk about in the second round. Uh, they started off by trading number 52 and John Gruden to the Pittsburgh Penguins for Matt Murray. And listen, for me, I was thrilled for this trade. And and the reason being is they didn't really give up a lot at all. Uh, When you consider that the general speculation was that Jim Rutherford wanted a first round pick for Matt Murray. Uh, I heard a lot of names like, you know, the high second and uh, maybe a Rudolph, Rudolph Ballsters going back to Pittsburgh. So giving up a Gruden and number 52, that was a slam dunk for me and especially to get a guy who could very well be your starting goaltender going forward. What were your thoughts on the trade? Were you happy with what the senators got relative to what they gave up?
2: I, I totally understand where Pierre Dorian, Pierre Dorian was going with this trade. Uh, in memory, you get a 26-year-old who can hopefully grow this core. Um, he has that championship pedigree. He's won two cups in his first two seasons in the league. Um, he's also a guy who's had success in the regular season. Like His first two years in the league, his stats were amazing. And... Uh, he's kind of trended down as the Pittsburgh Penguins have trended down. Are there genuine concerns about a goaltender's play behind a really strong Pittsburgh team? Sure. Um, are are there genuine concerns about his last two seasons in the league last two and a half seasons in the league? For sure. Uh, his numbers have trended down and I've read some of the Pittsburgh reporters for the athletic on their hub. And they've talked about that. They've talked about a goaltender who may not necessarily be the most athletic guy in the world, but he's a very technical goalie. You know, it's all about positioning and angles and, there's a lot of stuff to like. There's a lot of stuff that kind of concerns me a little bit. You look at the goaltending market this off season, it's kind of saturated with guys who are getting short-term deals because there just simply isn't a ton of money out there right now. And it was there an opportunity for the senators to kind of go into that free agent market and find a veteran who could, who could help them at least be a stopgap for the next year or two. Uh, I've written extensively about the expansion draft coming next off season. Uh, Every team in the league is only going to be allowed to protect one goalie. And That means every team's going to be looking to move their backup or something. Um, Ottawa has a ton of assets, has a ton of prospects. They have the kind of capital that you can use to go get one of those backup goaltenders that you really like or starter. And for a market that is that saturated, maybe they could have been able to find a player who who might have been a little bit cheaper than Matt Murray uh, with a 50-second overall pick. But You know, I I totally understand why Ottawa targeted uh, Matt Murray and there is an opportunity for him to flourish in Ottawa. And hopefully this fresh start allows him to kind of return to the levels that he exhibited in his first two years in the league.
1: When you couple this trade with the contract extension that Murray got, it does seem to be, you know, a gesture of faith towards him. Like this is Pierre Dorian saying this is going to be the guy for the next, you know, at least the next four years. Do you buy that or do you think this is just them having to pay out to an RFA who won two Stanley cups and is 26 years old? Because I really do believe that Matt Murray could be the future in net on this team. Like uh, I think it was Haley at Salve. And of course, that said you don't win 117 games in the NHL by accident. uh, By the time you're 26 years old, you don't win those two cups by the time you're 26 years old by accident. Um, And even 2017, like if, you know, we remember that Pittsburgh team well, their blue line was not very good. That was one of the reasons that Ottawa was able to push them as far as they did was because their blue line really didn't give Murray any help. Um, So I guess what I'm asking you, Graham, is the senators clearly are putting their faith in Matt Murray to be their starter going forward. Do you have that same faith in him? Or is this the thing where you're like, you got to show me?
2: I totally understand why the contract was made, you know, Matt Murray is 26. Like you mentioned, he was a year away from uh, unrestricted free agency. So the player itself uh, himself had a little bit of leverage there, right? Like he could control his own fate. Um, so in that sense, I totally understand why the Senators had to pony up to get him. And uh, yeah, he, you know, he has that championship pedigree. They can sell this as a win for the organization because they've locked up a 26 year old who obviously wants to be here and, and play with this young core. And that's exciting. But at the same time, I think you also have to kind of acknowledge the fact that the senator's reputation isn't really sterling in the market right now either. So it might have been harder for this organization to go into free agency, find that stopgap option, and not overpay for that guy as well. So he's a 26-year-old goalie. He's won before. There's a chance for him to find his game in Ottawa, and that's all that you can hope for.
1: Yeah, I I think – I would rather pay for the guy who's overpay for the guy who's twenty six years old and has one two cups than overpay for, you know, maybe
2: somebody else on the market. Or do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, and guys like Braden Holby aren't coming here on a two year deal. No, like, definitely not. No. Like guys like that are gonna go pick they're gonna go pick a winner uh, who has a chance to compete for a cup. And and that's as simple as it as it is. Like between Ottawa's ownership situation, uh, the reputation. Uh, where they are in terms of their franchise development like they're coming off uh what their third bottoms two um bottom two record in the league for the pet so um it's just one of those things where a lot of i think a lot of outside factors and inside factors are working against the team right now and they got a guy that they liked they signed him and hopefully it just works out and that's it yeah we won't go pick by pick through the rest of the draft but I do want to know
1: if there was any one of those picks that really stood out to you as a guy who you think is going to have an impact going forward. I know everybody really liked uh, Roby Arventi at the end, at the top of the second round. Uh, I was a big fan of the Igor Sokolov pick. Uh, and I know that one wasn't as popular with everyone, but based on what we heard about him off the ice um, character wise with the things he was doing, you know, buying groceries for people during the pandemic yeah. and, just as a player, like I vividly remember watching the World Juniors when Russia was playing Canada and getting frustrated because I'm like, "Who's this big six four grizzly bear that's you know that's throwing hits and and being so strong on the puck? I was really hurting Team Canada." Yeah, uh, and it was Sokolov, right? Like the kid is just a monster for his age. Like he's yeah. huge. He's so strong and he's got skill. Yeah, uh, I, I echo. I
2: echo those comments. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you don't, and he's got that skill that you don't see in a guy that size very often, right? Like he, you know, he was one of the top scorers in the queue. He's got deceptive hands. So, anyway, that's my kind of gushing over the Sokolov pick. Uh, do you have a guy who you feel that way about? Who you're like, oh, that's a really good pick through the rest of the draft?
2: Yeah, the Sokolov one's interesting. Obviously, you touched on a number of uh, components to his game that sound really good. Like you know, apparently, he's renowned for his catch and release, uh, his willingness to go to big areas or you know, crowded areas on the ice, and. You know, he, he is a big guy who dominated junior. Uh, he led the Q in goals. And he, it, it's going to be interesting. He's, he's eligible to play pro uh, this season. Uh, is he going to be one of those players who, you know, just kind of got by because of his size in the queue, Or is this a guy whose skills and attributes are going to let him succeed at the pro level? Uh, and if he's just working on his skate, and that's something that the organization has worked with players before on, like Mark Stone, uh, he, he had the high hockey IQ for, for days. And he was just a guy who really, really needed to work on his skating. And from what I understand, Sokolov kind of has that work ethic as well. So hopefully that's a player that works out really well for Ottawa. But yeah, in, in terms of uh, getting excited about any of the other picks, I think you touched on Robbie Arbente. Uh Him and Sokolov are probably the two that I'm most eager to see as kind of like long-term projects for the organization. Mm-hmm. But I also think that the organization did some really interesting things. Like they got Levi uh, Marilina from yeah. Finland. Um, that was off the wall. Yeah, off the wall, right? And but you look at his numbers and you kind of get excited a little bit. But at the same time, you're you're also thinking, well, we just traded for Matt Murray. Um, you know, you look at the whole system, it's just loaded with goaltending prospects. Mm-hmm. And granted, like none necessarily project safely as that number one goaltender of the future right now, but you know, they're just one of those organizations who's not putting all their eggs in one basket. So maybe he's another kid to keep an eye on overseas.
1: Yeah, Trent Mann said um, they want they like to pick a goalie every year because they like having the internal option. They'd rather have to solve any kind of goaltending problems internally than externally.
2: Uh, <laughs> Until you and, trade for Matt Murray. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I, I don't know. Do we think they trade for Matt Murray if Anders Nilsson is healthy this year?
2: No, probably not. But yeah, right. right. Those are, that's just unfortunately you're just dealing with a player who's dealing with a concussion and those mm-hmm. things are unpredictable. Uh they're terrible to deal with. And you just hope that Nielsen gets better gets better and uh returns soon. But it's 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 gonna be interesting to see how the goaltending position unfolds moving forward because you have like Kevin Mandeleese is gonna be pro this year. Like he's gonna probably play or start in the ECHL. And yeah, you have it's... guys like Gustafson in the in the HL, you have Joey Decord in the AHL. You have Marcus Hogberg, who's who's had success at the AHL level, and he's had a cup of coffee with the Ottawa Senators, and he looked like he could be a capable backup, at least uh, at least right now uh, for the Senators. So they have a bunch of young goaltending already in the system, and it's going to be really exciting to see if any of those kids take a step forward this year. I know overall
1: there were there was a large subsection of people who weren't who were kind of underwhelmed with the way the draft panned out. Did you fall into that camp? Like if you had to grade the Senator's draft, what, what grade would you give it? I hate to kind of throw an arbitrary thing at you there, but just to get a general sense of how
2: you felt about it. I, I totally understand that sentiment. Um, you know, even going back, we talked about Sanderson earlier, uh, mm-hmm. passing up a lot of skill on the board that was there. Uh, same thing for really Greek, right? Like Maverick Bork went to, I, I believe it was Dallas at 30. Uh, he was a highly skilled player who many had projected go earlier than that. So they, they left some talent on the board. It happens every draft. Uh, You know, analytics people are are quick to rail on on um, guys who put up a ton of points, uh, players who are overlooked simply because of their size. Um, Ottawa did; they passed up on a lot of smaller guys who put up points across the world. Uh, You know, taking Yarventi, I think, was good in the sense that he's a guy who has a lot of physical tools, goals, big goal-scoring winger. Uh, They did the same thing with the Sokolov pick. We we talked about him. Um, I think the Tyler Clevin pick is a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, just because, you know, you traded two picks to move up and and grab this kid at 44 and you just took Jake Sanderson early in the draft and he's going to be playing behind Thomas Chabot long-term, which means that Clevin, if everything breaks right, is going to be the third pairing left defenseman on this team. So you're moving two valuable picks just to move up to take a guy who, you know, he's just your typical, uh, defensive defenseman. Like, there's nothing sexy about his game, other than the fact he's a big guy, who throws hits. And I don't know that. That to me, that's the clever pick. I understand that's why people are kind of railing against it. There's a lot of skill passed out uh, in the first round. So yeah, like I can totally understand why people are kind of confused by wh- what Ottawa was doing. Um, they passed up skill in the first round. They're hoping that Ottawa would roll the dice, maybe a little bit more in the second and third and fourth and fifth rounds, and they didn't really seem to do that. And then if you want to go back to the Maryland and pick a goaltender. Ottawa does have a ton of goaltenders already in the system as we talked about. So did they really need another one? Could they have rolled the dice on more skill? Um, you know, for, for an organization that had a lot of picks, Don Lucian uh, wrote, wrote about how Ottawa has the most expected value, um, just because of the quantity of picks that they picked. And it's just going to take time to look at this and, and figure out how much real value Ottawa really got out of all these picks. Yeah. It
1: it does feel like such a crapshoot in so many senses. Um, I think it's hard to, it's obviously hard to judge, right? Because we don't know how many of these picks are going to pan out if they are ever going to pan out. So uh, for me personally, I like to evaluate it on what's tangible to me. And that would be the top of the draft, Uh, you know, the first couple of rounds. And and I think they did do well there. Uh, Did they make some picks that were strange? Yeah. Right. Like, I think that's fair to say, Uh, but I, I, but I do think they capitalized where it mattered, like with number three, with number five, 28, Um, with those guys like Garventi and Sokolov. So it's hard for me to have too many complaints about it, but what's going on after the draft is really interesting. Uh, Anthony Duclair not being qualified is, I think we would be remiss if we didn't talk about this because it really sent shockwaves through the fan base and through, through the community. I think that was a guy who we all expected to be qualified, especially when Pierre Dorian said that morning that there weren't going to be any surprises with the qualifying offers. So now that we've kind of heard a little more about it, uh, maybe it sounds like Duclair uh, was asking for a little more than the organization was comfortable with. But then, of course, you have the folks who say, well, why not just qualify him anyway? Uh, What do you think about it? Because it is such a weird situation.
2: Yeah, it is weird. It's totally bizarre. And if you look at Duclair's comments on Instagram, uh, where he essentially just, you know, he, he thanked everybody. Thanks his teammates, the coaches. He talked about how he loved the city. He loved DJ Smith. He loved playing under him. Uh, he loved the development curve that he, that you know, that step forward that he took last season playing for the centers. And he didn't thank Pierre Doran. He didn't thank Eugene Melnick. Um, and it's just one of those situations where you look at the player who's coming off arguably his best season in the league where he kind of reestablished himself. He was a 2020 NHL All-Star. Uh, fans loved him. Uh, teammates in the room reportedly loved him. And, you know, if you're that far apart in negotiations, and, and this is the thing I'm kind of curious about. At what point in the season was like Pierre Dorian kicking tires on these guys trying to find out what they were worth in terms of like next contract, talking contract extension, what are you looking for? Give me an idea. And he, I don't know if he did that with Duclair. Claire. I, I'm assuming he would have just doing his due diligence earlier in the year. But if you're struggling to kind of meet in the middle on what his value was on a short-term deal, um, why wasn't he gone by the deadline? Mm-hmm. You know, you you have an asset who's outperforming his contract. You have you should have had an opportunity to move him during the season, and you didn't. And now you're now essentially you walked away from a valuable asset who had 23 goals, and you didn't get anything for him. And it kind of diminishes what what they did with the Ryan single trade somewhat. Like they had two second round picks, but they could have had more. And, and it's just one of those like deals that. It, you know, every every once in a while, an asset will get away from you, and you you'll get as much, you don't extrapolate as much uh, value for that asset. But in this case, it feels like Ottawa just missed the boat on on getting some uh, more value. And mm-hmm. you know, if, if the negotiations are souring, the player wants more than he's worth because he doesn't necessarily want to stay in Ottawa. I'm I'm just speculating here. Um, but if he wants all, more money than you're willing to pr- to to spend on the player, uh, why not just take him to arbitration? Just take him to arbitration. Yeah. If it's more than four point four and a half, walk away. If it's yeah. under four and if it's under four and a half, perfect. It's probably less than what the player was asking for anyways. Um, and then hopefully you have an opportunity to trade them down the road or you just hold on to the player and you know, the team's not very good next year. You have to spend on the cap floor. You have to eclipse the cap floor. And uh, you, you look at Ottawa's situation. They still have to eclipse the, the cap floor and they're going to have to add something. And you know, just give Anthony DeClaire a little bit more rope and, and maybe there's an opportunity to get even more production out of him. Who knows? Um, but to let him walk away for nothing. It, it just seems like it's it just it, it's bizarre. It strikes me as something must have happened beyond hockey. Something must have happened.
1: Yeah, I, I would hate to speculate as to what that is, because I have no clue. But the, it is it is strange. Um I think, you know, whoever anyone wants to throw blame at for this situation, whether it's Duclair, whether it's the organization, I don't know. But it's bizarre. Like you said, I think bizarre is the perfect word. Uh, it's a guy who was, like you said, an all-star last year, a guy who looked like he was going to be able to grow with this core, maybe be a really key contributor through the middle six. Um And maybe even the top six, right? Like he showed flashes of that this past year. So to not get anything for the guy or not even to take him to arbitration, it it definitely struck me as strange. And of course, they are going to go to arbitration with uh, four other with four other players, Connor Brown, Christian Yaros, Nick Paul and, and Chris Tierney. So to not take Duclair to arbitration is really it's really puzzling to me. Um, but they did make some moves after that. Uh, the first one being they traded for Eric Goodbranson from the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I think the general consensus is that this is a guy who is going to, you know, kind of be that Mark Borowiecki type player this year. Uh, you know, his, his underlying metrics and his overall numbers are not that tantalizing to look at, but when you hear people talk about the person that he is and, you know, his ties to the community and, and the player that he's going to be in the locker room, it does sound like it could be, a valuable pickup for a young team uh do you do you, does that kind of make it worth it for you i mean they didn't give up a whole hell of a lot with the fifth round pick but but is this a trade where you're kind of looking at it and scratching your head or, or do you get it
2: um yeah i understand the off-ice elements obviously uh he's a local guy he checks off a lot of the check boxes that mark borbieski had local guy great character um if your listeners haven't read up on uh, good, good Branson's upbringing uh, with his younger brother who had leukemia. Uh, please go go read that article. It's it's pretty awesome. Um, the kid just seems like a well liked guy who has a lot of character. Brings a lot of the same physical attributes on the ice. Uh, I totally understand why the organization can target a guy like that to help bring along some of the kids. But again, it all comes down to price, and it's just one of those things where here's a guy who's making four million in in cap, but he's only earning four million in real base salary. So. $3 million for Edgar Branson, the guy who's like barely been replacement level. He's been just like 0.3 war wins above replacement was his best season in the NHL, according to evolving hockey's data. And this guy's essentially been in his best years, slightly above replacement level. And in his worst years, he's well below that. And for $3 million, it, it just, I, I know people love the intangibles. The intangibles are fine great good branson could be a great story great character to have in the room but at three million dollars it's just his his contract seems like the kind of thing that an organization like anaheim should have been trying to dump yeah as opposed to ottawa buying for a fifth round pick i know and i know that the cost like you mentioned isn't that high but it's he's just one of those players where surely to god the senators could have found a better alternative in terms of like actually putting a better team on the ice than eric goodbranson
1: yeah i thought if they were going to at least trade for a guy like good Branson that they could have gotten maybe a pick back for it at the sweetener. Right. Like I, like it was, that was the puzzling thing to me was they were, they were actively giving up an asset to receive that contract and and who knows, you know, we don't know the dynamics of the market this year. You know, there have been people saying the market's soft because of COVID and teams are hesitant to make certain moves and whatnot. Um, but you'd think, you know, for a team like Anaheim, especially who's trying to get younger and trying to, and trying to add a little more skill that they'd be looking to, they'd be willing to give up a pick to dump that deal. Maybe not, even, maybe not even, you know, like a second round pick, but a, surely like a third or a fourth round pick. Right.
2: And you look at what they did with the cat space. As soon as they dumped Gabranson's $4 million cap hit, they signed Kevin Shattenkirk to a three-year yeah. deal. So they replaced him with essentially it was a trade of Kevin Shattenkirk for Goodbranson, and they added a pick in the deal. They got a pick out of it. So it's a great piece of business, a little tidy piece of business for Anaheim. And it's, it's we, we've talked about this before uh, and, and everyone has, it, it's one of those situations where Ottawa came into the free agency on the first day with like $40 million in cap space. And you're kind of waiting on this team that has promised to spend that kind of cap space as a commodity and use it to weaponize and get players that organizations don't want for draft picks. And you look at what Detroit did with Mark Stahl and, And you look at what uh, Carolina did with Toronto last year and getting Patrick Marleau. We're still waiting for those kind of deals for the Senators, and they've never kind of come to fruition. And they've added added a couple pieces. I'm sure we're going to get into Austin Watson a little bit later. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they've added pieces, uh, two players who are not really that great, at $4.5 million next season. And it's just, to me, it just seems like a waste of money you're trading draft picks for players who aren't really good. And yeah, maybe they had elements that that your organization feels is lacking off the roster right now, but they're not good players.
1: Yeah. And it does seem, it does seem that with the way they've gone about their moves, uh, they're doing it for a reason. Like I think the senators are making trades rather than talking to guys in free agency and bringing them here for a reason. I think, Maybe in some of the cases, like you mentioned, where they're, they're probably looking to take on guys who are older, maybe guys that have those no trade, no movement clauses, it's hard to convince those guys to come to Ottawa. So maybe that plays into it somewhat, but, but, but yeah, but you're right. Um, there's no reason why a team like the Senators shouldn't be making those like, you know, Patrick Marlowe type trades, like bringing in a player for a pick.
2: Um, I, or, that just, or even like New Jersey shortly after the uh, good Branson deal was through, right? They, yeah. they acquired Ryan Murray, who's a much better player at a similar, at a similar cost. And all New Jersey had to do with, to get Ryan Murray was trade a fifth round pick the same, the same value that Ottawa mm-hmm. sent to him. So to me, it, like I, to me, it seems like the evidence evidence is there. There are good players available. It's just Ottawa is kind of going down this route where, they're comfortable taking these character guys over some of the talent that's out there.
1: Yeah. And one of those character guys that I think they've looked to bring in, and there's been a lot of questions about his character. And unfortunately is Austin Watson. Uh, this is a complicated one because I don't want to minimize the seriousness of what he went through and what he was accused of doing. Um, because that would, that would just be wrong. Uh, but when when the situation is as complex as it is, when you have his um, his girlfriend later coming out and saying that you know that he never assaulted her or abused her in, in any kind of fashion, like we do have to kind of take everything with a huge grain of salt here. Um, the stance I've taken is I've tried to kind of refrain from judging the player or the person because I don't know the situation, and I think that's kind of similar to what to what you've been doing as well right like like it's just it's so tough to wade into but in terms of the trade itself uh giving up a fourth round pick for that type of player I I mean I think for me it it addresses a need Uh, they're so thin on the right side Um, I think the only guy they have on the right side on the right wing of this roster that didn't play in the in the AHL at some point last year is Connor Brown like you're looking at the guys like Drake Batherson and Rudolph Ballsters making the full time jump. So it's really tough to kind of, you know, throw those guys right into big time NHL minutes. So I think having Watson in there might provide a little bit of depth that they need. Uh, people talk about the, the three years and the and the and the and the 1.5 million. That's a low cap hit. And look, the guy's not going to be in Ottawa for three years. I really don't think uh, whether it's through Seattle or whether it's through it's through flipping him at the deadline. I don't think this is a guy that's going to be in Ottawa long term. So, I, for me, I'm fine with the trade. Uh, where do you stand on it? Um, do you think this is a move that the senator should have made? Do you think, like, do you see the logic behind it? Like, give me your sense on the deal.
2: Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier. It's a really complicated situation. I don't think you can read a couple of news articles and become an expert on discussing it. Um, it's complicated. There's a lot of gray, there's a lot of gray area. Um, and who knows, who knows what really happened. Uh, all you can deal with is, is what's going on right now. Um, I'm surprised though, like here's an organization trying to like improve its reputation and this is nothing against Watson, uh, being a reformed uh, person, his girlfriend, they've talked extensively about mental health, uh, anxiety, depression, alcoholism, uh, all terrible diseases. And they've talked about that, I think in their communities as well. And they've kind of been come to the forefront and tried to, improve things uh through that way but at the same time i'm surprised that the senators would kind of invite this kind of conversation uh in, into what's a young and impressionable young team that doesn't necessarily need distractions right mm-hmm. and, and i'm sure at some point uh everyone's going to get past this and uh, maybe watson is a great teammate a great person to have in the community right now maybe he's a totally reformed person who uh, overcomes demons and and you know everybody's wax poetic about Bobby Ryan and what he went through and his struggles to get through alcoholism and everybody was anxious and excited to see him back and, and have him around this team and kind of be like that veteran leader as well. And, uh, I think Watson might be, might have that opportunity here in Ottawa. He can hope maybe he can be like that kind of leader, saying, listen, guys this is the kind of shit I've gone through. Um, and maybe you he can help lead some of the, the impressionable young kids in that way if he is truly reformed and you know, he, he could be, Kind of like a positive uh, speaker in that sense, um, but for the senators to invite that kind of dynamic and wrinkle into the fold now, it, I find it kind of weird. Um, he's not a great player um, on on the surface. Ob- obviously, Ottawa did need a right winger, like you mentioned. It's just I'm I'm surprised that the organization would invite this kind of conversation, considering that the player's not that good. And you know, yes, he is here for three years, uh, but it, it's it's just from a total value standpoint, and just forget the person uh just worry about his on ice contributions in this sense like for an organization that kind of drafts all those bottom six players and they, and they laud themselves for all this bottom six depth that they've accumulated you know like uh talking about like really greek could be a great bottom six player for this organization in the future like they've drafted a lot of those bottom six in recent years and it seems like they always keep adding like these bottom six players to their lineup and it kind of boxes prospects out obviously you can't feel the team of prospects and young players in the lineup, but like I just Austin Watson just doesn't move the needle much for me. He's just not one of those players that I can really be excited about having on the Ottawa centers. And maybe that'll change. Maybe he'll play a style that this team needs and you know, maybe my, my feelings will change and they can't, uh, it's just one of those things that I look at right now. And I'm just really, really, really surprised that the organization would want this kind of conversation around their team right now.
1: Yeah. I do think you bring up a good point there. Um, for a team that has had so many problems with drama over the past few years and who has tried to make this conscious effort to avoid said drama. It it is, it does invite a conversation that I don't think it's a bad thing bringing in an Austin Watson, but it, but it does invite the conversation. Like you said, as far as the player goes, um,
2: and sorry, know, I, to you, sorry to cut you off. Yeah, there, go ahead. Sorry. But this is also a team that has been reluctant to talk about Black Lives Matter and other social justice like issues, right? Mm-hmm. And they've been really reluctant to get up front. They haven't really given players a platform for that kind of stuff. And it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds moving forward.
1: Yeah. Um, bringing in a guy like Good Branson, who was so vocal about Black Lives Matter, too, I think that kind of that quelled some people's worries about that aspect of it. But you're right. The optics of losing a guy like Borowiecki and Duclair, um, wh- whether they wanted to stay or they wanted to leave, it, it does it does kind of give some people that impression. I, I totally understand what you're saying. Uh, getting back to Watson, though, as a player, you're right. Um, his, his metrics are certainly not the most flattering. Um, maybe he can provide that kind of energy player role in the bottom six that kind of runs around, throws hits that make the glass rattle and get the fans excited. Um, I think that would be a valuable thing to have for a young team who, you know, maybe when things aren't going well, they do need that kind of boost to get back in the game. Um, Guys like Kachuk also provide that spark. So, you know, from a hockey move, I find it kind of innocuous, especially if they can use him as a player to expose to Seattle, to avoid losing a young player. Um, that, they, that they want going forward. Or maybe they can, who knows, maybe he'll bounce back this year. They can flip him at the deadline and get some decent assets for him. Guys, playoff GMs, play trade for guys like Austin Watson all the time. Uh, but it is shaping up to be one hell of an interesting offseason either way, however long it's going to be. Uh, what else do you kind of expect to see from Ottawa? Do you expect to see more trades? Do you expect to see them maybe signing some guys, whether they're, you know, veteran assets or maybe even young players? Like, like where do you see Pierre Dorian going on for the rest of the time that we have before the NHL regular season starts?
2: Yeah, like you mentioned earlier, you look at Ottawa's right side. They had one forward, as you mentioned, Connor Brown, who didn't spend any time in the AHL last season. I think if you look at the right side right now, you're looking at like Rudolph's ball and Batherson, uh, as being two guys who who should probably step in on the left side, it might even be even worse. Like I was looking at numbers in terms of careers games played earlier today. And, you know, you got potentially a Logan Brown, maybe who could play the left side. He's played 29 games at the NHL level, Alex Formington. He's played 10 games at the NHL level. Um, if, if any of these prospects take a step back or, or just a little bit slower to develop, you wonder if they're, you know, if Ottawa might look at the left side as being something that they might look to address with just one more veteran guy where uh, he could be a stopgap. And yeah. uh, you, you look at Ottawa's cap at, right now, um, they've spent 53 million in terms of cap dollars. Uh, their salary expenditures is 43 million. Um, it, it's one of those situations where they should theoretically have a lot of money to spend if they want to. Um but I think the blue line's set. I think the right side's set with Zaitsev, Brown, and Goodbranson on the right side. On the left side, you have Shabbat, Willan, and Riley. Uh Goaltending seems to be set. So if I had to look anywhere on the roster right now, I'm thinking left wing or right wing. Just add maybe like one little veteran who could uh, hopefully maybe play like top nine minutes and then uh, give the team a little bit more opportunity to give a guy like an Alex Formanton more time in the AHL or maybe even the Logan Brown if, if his transition to the wing doesn't go well or if he can't play the wing at all.
1: Yeah, I think they really need to add a center, too. I think that I might argue that that might be more important than adding on the wings right now because I think
2: so, though, (laughs) because I'm looking at the roster and Chris Tierney, fine, complimentary player on a bad team.
1: Yeah, but you can say Uh, the same about Connor Brown playing top top line right wing minutes, too. But who do you have below Tierney? Right. Like, it's oh, sure. But you have Colin
2: Colin White, Norris and Anisimov.
1: Yeah, he's made, like
2: 700 games in the league uh if he's your if he's your fourth line guy that's not a it's not a huge deal uh norris could step in play limited minutes on the third line colin white's played first line before and, and i know everybody talks about you know having depth a veteran depth to protect some of the young centers on the roster but like colin white's played decent hockey for yeah, Ottawa. Colin i know, a I, know now. I know i know like people get down on the offense and stuff but like he's a guy who's i think his struggles last season offensively um remitigated somewhat by the fact that he actually was a responsible good defensive player mm-hmm. and i think there is an opportunity to get a little bit more offense out of him and he's a guy who lost his spot to pageau uh when he got hurt early in the year and then Paggio took his job and then ran with it and you yeah. can't really be graduate player for not producing offensively when he's on the third line playing limited minutes with guys who just aren't that great offensively on a bad team mm-hmm. so i i think there's an opportunity for colin white to take a step forward and uh you know, maybe he's a guy who could play with a veteran uh, like Connor Brown or maybe he gets a spot back. Maybe he plays with Kachuk and Connor Brown or, you know, maybe he plays on the second line, potentially with like a guy like Logan Brown, who's a bit more offensive or Drake Batherson, who's more offensive. Like there could be opportunity for him to, get, to actually produce more than uh, people are expecting.
1: Do you think Stutzler comes in on the wing or at center?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, too. And if he does, if he does play on the wing, I think uh, was it front man i can't remember if it was Mann or, or dorian who was I think, saying that i think they both him. said it yeah i think they were saying they were going to break him in slowly on the wing so if mm-hmm. he plays left wing then i don't know where logan brown fits <laughs> yeah so or maybe alex Warrington just starts in the ahl i, I have no idea um but th- if there is an opportunity for students on the left wing then yeah maybe he's a guy who could play alongside like colin white mm-hmm. at which point you're talking more offense for white so I, I i just don't see center being a huge issue for ottawa yeah uh, You're right. Now
1: now that I think of it, too, like they have a guy like Nick Paul, who's played center before, too, and he can he can be competent playing a bottom six center role. So so I do think you're right there. Uh, I guess one of the the last things I want to ask you, Graham, before I let you go is in terms of the guys who are out there right now, um, who may be on the market, whether it's RFA guys, whether it's, you know, older players that are still under contract, who, who are you eyeing as players the Senators should target?
2: It's a good question. Should, I like that. Not necessarily. I well, I thought, I thought on, honestly, like heading into this offseason, I really thought that Ottawa would weaponize a cap space a little bit better. Yeah. Um, they haven't acquired some of the players who are, you know, bandied about as potential guys that they could target. And we talked about Mark Stahl earlier, but I looked at Vancouver's situation. I saw like Louis Erickson as being a guy that maybe the senators could use, uh, and, and get a good high value pick back. Maybe a Michael Furland who's had some concussion problems that Ottawa, you know, could use. And then maybe if he goes on LTIR that, you know, that's just uh, a way for the senators to recoup some money back. But, um, yeah, in terms of guys who are actually on the open market right now, it's, it's, I, I don't really see anyone that really fits Ottawa or would be a good person to like acquire who would want to play here uh maybe tyler to but i can't see him wanting to come here at this time uh just based off where ottawa is in their uh in their development curve um maybe Dadnov from florida mm-hmm. as, as a possible guy who could play both sides yeah guy um, wing. yeah but there's i don't i just it might just take a little bit more time and, and it might have to get like a little bit later in the offseason when teams start running out of money and um it, that's it. I, it's just, you know, good deals can be had later on in the offseason. There's no reason to panic and, and freak out just because Ottawa hasn't uh, added the high caliber quality that many were probably hoping for. But there is opportunity to add down the road. And, and maybe someone will look at Ottawa as an opportunity to kind of play top six minutes, rebuild their value, and then uh, test for agency next season as well.
1: Graham Nichols, thank you again for doing the show. Before I let you go here, I'm going to put you on the spot. Tell me where Ottawa is going to finish next year in the standings.
2: Oh, bottom five for sure.
1: Give me a, give me a hard one. Give me 28,
2: 29. Uh, I'll say 27.
1: Oh, that's a good spot. All right. I like that. That's a little bit of a step forward, but still going to be good situation draft wise. Uh, Graham Nichols, uh, six sense, the athletic. Thank you again for doing this. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, where can the people find you on social media?
2: Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Six Sends. Uh, you can read my stuff at The Athletic at theathletic.com if you have a, a subscription. I encourage everyone to get one, by the way. Do um, it, yes. It's, it's well worth it. Haley Salvian's killing it right now, pumping out a ton of content. Chris Stevenson's work's fantastic. So once the season gets started again and everyone's writing again, then uh, it's, a, it's a great place for sense content. But in the meantime, definitely get it because Haley's uh, writing is worth it alone. Uh, you can also find my stuff on my blog at 66 six And that's it.
1: And the Common Sense podcast also by The Athletic and featuring that same Haley Salvi, And it's a great show, one you should check out. It's way better than this podcast, so make sure you do listen to it. Thank you guys for listening as always. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all of that fun stuff. Check back next week for the next episode. Please continue to stay healthy, stay safe, and we will see you next time. Take care, y'all.